The question on many a person's mind in the banking world these days is whether we can go beyond a concept of improving core systems and upgrading software to a place where things move at warp speed, customers get the kind of service they deserve and then some, and banks become more competitive. The answer to the question of whether that is possible is yes. And today on the podcast, the two D's talk to Anthony Jenkins of 10X, who explains how a six-year journey has led him and his company to the point of major breakthroughs. It's all here on Dave and Darm Demystify. From the studios of NMD Plus in the UK and US comes the Dave and Darm Demystify Show. Dave and Darm Demystify Show, making sense of the world of fintech and digital finance. Sit back and listen as the two Ds take a subject and chat it through to make it clearer and easier to understand. And now, here are your hosts, Dave Wallace and Darm Mystery. Demystify. Welcome to another episode of the Dave and Darm Demystify Show. And this week, the show is really special for a number of reasons, because... A, we've got a really special guest, Anthony Jenkins, and I'm going to ask him to introduce himself in a second. But also, we're actually live on site in their brand new office in Holborn. So it's the first time we're recording a show on site as well. So yeah, Anthony, I've been looking forward to this recording like the whole of the summer holiday. So it's a pleasure to meet you. But, you know, tell us a bit about why you started 10X. Well, firstly, welcome to 10X. It's an exciting day for us. The first day our new offices are open here in Hoban, and we've definitely gone for a look here, which is very much in line with the new way of working. So we don't require our people to be in unless there's a good business reason for them to come in. So the space that you saw is all about collaboration. It goes back really to the start of 10X in 2016. After a long career in the financial services industry, I was always really fascinated by these two challenges of why don't banks work better for their customers? Banks essentially are built to sell products, not necessarily meet the needs of customers. And secondly, why hasn't technology created real transformation in the industry? And these were all challenges that I've been grappling with throughout my career. So when I left Barclays in 2015, I couldn't get out of my head the idea that there had to be a way to do banking better. And if we're going to do banking better, let's do it a lot better. So hence we set up 10X. Our purpose is to make banking at least 10 times better. And we define that for banks themselves, for their customers and for society. And the essence of this really is to take very knowledgeable industry practitioners and pair them with technologists who understand the power of cloud native computing, put them together and that's what creates the 10x benefit, as we say, inside the company. We started in 2016, so we've been going for just over six years now. I think these are our fourth premises in that time. So we're really in that scale-up journey. We were very fortunate last year and privileged to be able to serve both JP Morgan here in the UK and Westpac in Australia. went live with both those large banks last year. 
And as I've always said to the team, it's one thing to have a great idea on a piece of paper. It's another to have it live. And remember that every day when you come to work, there's some customer at the point of sale pulling out a plastic and they expect that plastic to work every time. So that was a big milestone for us last year. And we've added additional clients since then and we continue to scale the business. It's pretty exceptional. Everyone knows that I come from a core banking background as well, but it's pretty exceptional for a technology company to be working with tier one banks. Why did you know these guys choose you, literally as a startup almost? I suppose because I came from that background, so I know what good looks like in that space. Right. I know what the expectations are from a performance point of view, a security point of view, a resilience point of view. And one of the things about 10X was from day one, we said we wanted to serve the largest banks in the world, and we architected and built the business around that. And so I think that was attractive to people because, A, they could see that we thought about the problem fundamentally differently. We weren't just selling you some core banking software. We were actually helping you transform your business. And secondly, we'd done it from the perspective of a tier one. So what would you need to believe in to run millions of customers on the platform? Wow. I don't know whether you're allowed to say, I'm going to ask the question anyway, but just say if you can't, but how many millions of customers between the two banks would you say roughly? I can't say that, Okay, but we are definitely in the millions. Okay. Well, that's got to be one of the biggest or some of the biggest migrations, I guess, or transformations of a bank onto a new core banking solution, because we've seen lots go onto new platforms, but they tend to be very small banks or you know, small parts of a bigger bank, but you've actually got into the tier one part of a large bank. And that's really led by the technology. What kind of transformation do you think they will drive now from this? Yeah, the thinking is actually led from the business with the technology as the enabler, not from the technology. So we define the problem going back to our purpose of making banking 10 times better. We don't define it as upgrading my core banking software. And that's a fundamental difference because when I sat down with a blank piece of paper in my dining room in the early part of 2016, I wrote down all the things I wish I'd had when I was in the industry. And the first thing I said was, built a lot of product in my career, but every time I built a product, whether it was a new credit card or a new type of checking account, I had to design it, right business requirements, right software engineering requirements, then somebody would go and code it, then it would be tested, and then, you know, six, nine, 12 months, it would show up, and it would never be quite what I really wanted. So the first thing I said was, I want to be able to build a new product without having to write a line of code. So our tool, which we call Bank Manager, allows a product person to build a new product because we understand how big banks work, we've also put a workflow around it. So once that product is built, it gets pushed to risk, it gets pushed to compliance, to legal, for sign-off. And once all the sign-offs are collected, then it can be promoted to production. So that dramatically shrinks the cycle time from months, sometimes years, to literally days and hours. That is a massive competitive advantage, but it's also a huge cost saving for banks. So that was the first thing we built into the platform. The second thing we said was, really, banks have all these disparate systems doing functional things, but basically they're working with the same data. So you might have a core banking platform, but then you have a completely separate customer service platform. And often 
part of the problem was those two sets of data were out of sync. And so if you sit in a call center, as I've done many times, and you see the operator there with sometimes seven, eight, ten windows open, toggling between them, trying to suck in the data <laughs> from different parts of the bank. So we said, that's just ridiculous. So we built a huge pipe from our platform directly into the front end for CRM, which is Salesforce. And so we use the front end with it comes with pre-built customer service journeys that draws directly on the 10x data. So we take out all of that right. mismatch which is a massive cost savings for the bank because they can basically stand up a brand new customer service application at the same time as they change some of the core processing. And then the final example I'll give is data. So we, you know, obviously data, banks talk about, oh, you know, we're the technology company's got all this data. Actually, most of the time, you can't even find it, right? Because the Anthony Jenkins looks different to the AP Jenkins, looks different to the AP and AM Jenkins. And so some poor PhD in, data science has to gather all that up, cleanse it, and then do something useful with it. So we said, well, firstly, build the platform around the customer, not around the product. So once the customer is on the platform as an entity, all activities associated with that customer are instantly accessible. And we can stream events on the platform in real time to the bank, or we can send them as a batch if they want them as a batch because they can only consume them as a batch. So what that means is if you're in marketing and you want to see how your customer's behavior is changing, you don't have to wait for somebody to sort of pull the data and then 30 to 45 days later you get the data. You <laughs> yeah. can do it in real time. Same for credit risk, same for fraud. So these are very powerful 10x advantages, which not only create the ability for the bank to differentiate themselves competitively, but it also creates a much lower cost base because there's many fewer humans involved and they're only doing value-added work. They're not doing all that sort of data cleansing. It sounds like what you've done is built a platform that is starting to break down the silos between business, marketing and technology and kind of bringing things together in a way that I would say fits a very modern business. I'm from marketing, so a kind of modern marketing-led business. So, you know, putting tools in the hands of the business so that they can understand what's going on at a kind of product level and responding to that very quickly, but even then connecting it through to campaigns. I mean, it sounds like you're stitching that all together. It can offer your clients tremendous advantages and efficiencies, as you say, in terms of reducing headcount or lowering the numbers of people involved in this whole process. Yeah, exactly. When I was at Barclays, we used to describe it as the bucket brigade, you know, where somebody in marketing would come up with a bright idea and then they'd have to pass it to somebody in, you know, the IT department who'd have to pass it to engineering. And then you did go through all that, and you'd forget that you hadn't talked to compliance and then you had to go back <laughs> through the cycle again. I've spent the last yeah. 25 years at that end trying to work out how you can speed things up. But I guess the reality is, in terms of this day and age, because everything is so digital, you can't afford for those six months to pass between an idea and actually getting a campaign or even a product live. So No, I mean, this is the challenge for banks because, of course, because they're basically in the data business, all financial products are data, they should be massively advantaged by the digital age. But in fact, they're hemmed in on three sides. On one side by fintechs, on another side by the big techs, and lastly, of course, by their own legacy tech. Yes. And this legacy tech is a massive impediment that I lived with all my 30-odd years in the industry 
And that was the problem we really set out to solve. It wasn't to say, okay, let's build a cloud native ledger that some bank can take and plug in to their systems architecture, most of which is 20 plus years old, because we knew that wouldn't really solve any problems. It might solve a short-term problem about, well, I need to get off a mainframe and get into a sort of cloud environment, but it doesn't really solve any of the 10x type problems. And that's what we talk about. We talk about 10x shape problems. Where can we help the bank get 10 times better in what they do? I mean, it sounds like everything you're saying makes a huge amount of sense, huge amount of sense. But sometimes sense when it hits large organisations kind of disappears out the window. So the clients that you've got, are you finding that having to get them to think about retraining or reorganising themselves around the product? What you're describing is a very different way of dealing with the world. So traditional structures just won't cut it. So I just wondered if the clients that you've got are just dealing with things in a different way themselves. Well, I mean, that is the fundamental point that all change journeys are really about people and however much we talk about digital at its heart, it's a challenge of people. Yeah. I often get asked, who do you see your main competitors as? And I say, I see the banks themselves as my main competitor because many people in banks will believe they can do this for themselves. And they might be able to envision it intellectually, but it's quite hard to actually execute that, particularly when you're navigating all of the organizational silos and power bases. We've spent six years doing this. By the middle of next year, we'll have basically built out a complete suite of products across the asset and liability sides of the balance sheet, which will serve everybody from yeah, the mass market all the way up to the large corporate. So we have a complete set of solutions for a bank. And I always saw this as a business that served you know, tens of banks, not necessarily thousands of banks. I right. don't measure my success by how many banks I have. I measure my success by how deep the relationship is with those banks. And that's why we were so proud to be awarded by Westpac their transactional banking business off the back of the first use case that we did with them. So this is all about the people who are willing to go on that transformational journey. It's a perfectly legitimate strategic position for a bank to say, I want to go on a modernization journey. You know, I'm going to upgrade this component over here or replace that over there. Personally, I don't think that solves any problems for them. But there are increasingly banks now who want to go on this transformation journey. I guess, you know, the ones that don't want to do it is kind of just de-risking the problem that they think they have, right? Which is transformations can be hard and difficult. Well, you see, I think that's exactly the opposite way that it really works. Yes. Because actually it feels less risky to do that component approach. Yeah. It's actually much more risky. Yeah, because it's not the components. You're gambling on the business being able to compete in the future. And that's the biggest thing to lose, right? Indeed. And we started off with two fundamental ideas, again, going back to 2016, when I was working on this in my dining room. First thing was customer centric architecture, right? So no product structures on the platform, just the customer as the entity. And the second was, given that most financial products do the same things, let's create a set of services that can be assembled together to deliver what looks like a product to the customer, but recognize 
that we don't have to build everything inside a product construct. Because if you think about it, charging an interest rate is actually the same as paying an interest rate. So charging interest rate on a loan, paying our savings product. So let's build the thing once as a component that we can then assemble as a set of Lego blocks. And so we've done all that and it works really well. But along the way, we still had to connect the 10X platform to the legacy parts of the bank. General ledger, customer master files, reg reporting, those types of things. And that's where the third component comes in. And the third component is that our platform is multi-tenanted. Right. So once we've done that connection, we can bring up sub-tenants with different lines of business, different brands, different geographies inside the same platform. So what that does is it massively de-risks the process of migration when coupled with the speed at which we can build the product range of the bank. I was just talking to one of my colleagues before you arrived and we were pitching to a client. We went onto their website, we looked at all of the products they were offering and we built them using the bank manager tool into the platform. You know, this is not vaporware, this is not a demo, this is actually their products built in the platform. Now, as you can imagine, once you've done the hard yards of that integration, you can do that multiple times across different product lines inside a bank, across different brands, different geographies and so on. So at that point, you're then into being able to migrate in months and maybe a couple of years, as opposed to the typical migration journey, which is expressed as three, five, seven years. And by the way, you have to pay hundreds of millions of dollars to systems integrators. All of that goes away in our world. And that's where people say, huh, that's really interesting because for the first time, I can contemplate an approach which is not only more comprehensive, but it's actually quicker, lower risk and cheaper than going on the journey with, you know, a huge tech conglomerate that's going to say, oh, it'll take us seven years and it'll cost you $250 million. And then all the systems integrators show up and then you need some consultancy on top of it. And suddenly the board's staring at, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, sometimes billions of dollars on a seven-year transformation journey. And at that point, they scratch their heads and say, well, that feels risky. So we've totally de-risked that process. And what I believe is success sells. So that's why getting live last year was so important. And now the next stage for us is demonstrating those migration journeys, which is what we're in the business of doing. Well, you can't tell from my face, but my jaw is hitting the ground because... <laughs> I've done an explanation of why banking is difficult. And, you know, you take RBS at one point, had 30 or 40 separate brands. Then, you know, the structure of the organization that had tens, if not hundreds of subsidiary companies. These are all the individual silos. First direct a separate entity, you know, Coots a separate entity, da, da, da. But you couldn't sell them one solution because they were all separate companies. But what you're saying is with your platform, we can do this now because you support a multi-tenant model for the bank that allows it to deploy these for their different subsidiaries yeah. while still retaining their own data. That's pretty amazing, right? I don't know of any other vendor that can do that. Is that your understanding? That's exactly right. We were in Australia talking to some banks over there earlier in the year, and one of them said to me, oh, you've massively reduced the cost of curiosity because what we can do is once we've done those integrations, 
then it's there. You know, you try one use case, very well defined, time bound, cost bound. You get happy with that. That works. Then you try the next one and the next one and the next one. And all of a sudden, you know, you can migrate 30, 50, 70 percent of your bank in probably a couple of years. Wow. And it opens up a huge range of options for banks to get out of a lot of things which really don't add any value to them. Yeah. So sucking all the data out of your core processing systems, put it in a data lake and having expensive data scientists clean it up for you, that's not value added to the bank. It's only once you've got the cleaned up data and you can do something useful with it that it's value added. Same with product managers, you know, endlessly having to write business requirements and get in a queue and all of that and then review, that doesn't add value to the bank. What adds value to the bank is being able to see a competitor do something and roll out your version of it in an afternoon. That's value to the bank. Banks we know are extremely complex. They have lots of separate systems. And so you're not only just replacing core, but you're then having to fit with an existing environment. And sometimes they're not going to want everything from you. They're going to want, like you said, Salesforce as their CRM, etc. Are you doing anything special to make banking more composable? Yeah. In a sense, our platform has two levels of composability to it. So firstly, we use a set of best-in-class cloud-native tooling to actually build the platform and deliver it. And you know we can swap one component out for another, and we do that as another component comes along that's better. So you avoid the problem of becoming legacy yourself because we've made the fundamental way the platform operates basically very easy to interchange components. And then the second is partners that we work with. So, you know, we work with a number of IDMV vendors, for example, different ones, our clients get to choose who we can work with them very easily. We've integrated to Salesforce, we work with a number of different payment vendors. So this notion that you can take the best components, if you like, and put them together is not a new idea. We used to talk about it in the 90s, you know, yeah. the old middleware, which was supposed to be the panacea that would solve all those problems. But now, if you have the right level of APIs and you design the platform with that in mind, it's very easy to bring those components together. We offer a lot of choice in terms of how they want to use our platform. And they all have different approaches. But the one thing that we never, ever change is the platform itself. Everybody gets the same platform. Any configuration of it happens outside the platform. They may not use every aspect of the platform. So the platform, as I said, supports many different financial products. A bank may choose not to use the mortgage feature functionality in there, no problem. But they're all taking the same version of the platform. And that way we can get huge leverage out of it. Do you also multi-tenant banks? So totally separate banks on the same platform? We could. So one of the things that we're exploring is whether for groups of smaller financial institutions, yeah, I was thinking there that. might be an industry-wide solution because most economies around the world have a set of you know, smaller, sometimes mutually owned savings and loans in the US, building societies here in the UK and so on. Because, you know, the product range is pretty simple. Yeah. And yeah, you can multi-tenant it. And the thing about each tenant is Tenant A can use features one through seven and, you know, 12 through 15. And tenant B can use features 20 through 37. They don't have to use the same things at all. 
because it's all sitting there in the platform and it's just about connecting the tenant to the feature functionality and then when the transactions come in applying that feature functionality what we've built is incredibly powerful very difficult to do but it is transformational i'm really interested in the multi-tenanted aspect of it dharma and i started our careers i think it was the co-op bank and smile yeah. wasn't it so I think in the early 90s, there was a trend towards kind of new brands coming out of some of the banks. And that was kind of an interesting thing, which didn't ever really seem to get anywhere. It was in the dot-com times when, you know, Halifax launched. But I think one of the things which is really interesting, again, about the world we live in is there is a need sometimes to have different products and services which focus on particular segments. And I think it's something that we've been really interested in is could banks start thinking about the much more segmented approach in terms of the products that they offer and it sounds like you know the costs involved in actually doing something like that from a 10x point of view are a lot lower than when the co-op launched smile that was a whole new bank on a different platform so you know the barrier to entry i guess is a lot lower so the opportunities to do some really innovative thinking are there it's a massive amount of flexibility in the platform. And I hope some of our clients won't mind me saying this, but actually the ability for them to add additional products to the customer, it's almost instantaneous because the functionality already sits there in the platform. So if you imagine just a brand new bank out there, let's say they start off with a savings offering, and then they decide they want to offer a transactional account. Well, that's just a couple of clicks on the GUI. That's not, oh, now we've got to go to vendor X and buy a current account module. It's completely game-changing. Could you run cards on your platform yes. as well? Yes, yes, yes. Like credit cards? Yes. Because traditionally that was very specialized hardware, very specialized core, namely from one or two vendors only, but none of them in the core banking space. But now you can run credit cards, mortgages, deposits, loans, accounts, all on one platform. Yep, exactly. Wow, I'm still thinking wow all the time. But, <laughs> like, yeah, I want to see this in action. In fact, we're doing that for clients as we speak. Right. What that allows you to do, I mean, when I was at Barclays, no see Barclay card and Barclays Bank were totally separate. There was yes. only about a 30% overlap <laughs> between the two different businesses. But frankly, you know, it was like having two totally different banks. Yep. Yeah. Um, and even now, it's quite hard to you know, navigate between the two from a customer experience point of view. So in the new world, in our world, you're in the savings and transactional account business. You want to offer a lending product? Yeah, no problem. Just you know, set your credit criteria, figure out who you want to offer it to, send out the marketing stimuli, and then it's just there. It's already there in the platform. As I say before, there's no, oh, let's go out and buy, you know, a $10 million loan module. And by the way, spend 18 months putting it in. And actually behind the scenes is a totally different technology. <laughs> but yeah, I get it now. I get the pennies dropped. Why tier one banks, you know, should be talking to you guys because absolutely you understand the structure and the way that banks are organized and you work within that because that's not just a technology problem. That's a structural issue. So that's fascinating in its own right. But, you know, obviously the majority of banks globally aren't the tier ones. How are you going to get to the smaller banks? 
you know, really, there's many ways that we can do this. I mean, firstly, we saw the offering as working for, you know, tier one, twos, and probably the top end of tier three. But for the bottom end of the market, we can, again, use the multi-tenanted approach we were talking about a minute yeah. ago to serve that part of the market. So we always thought that it was a lot easier to start serving the biggest and yeah. move it down. Because when we look at the lower end of the market, the product range is inherently much simpler and we've built it all yeah. already. So the hard part there is simply the integration into legacy tech. We support in branch, we support mobile, obviously. So we've got a full toolkit to offer basically any size of financial institution. I think it's been an incredibly eye-opening, jaw-dropping kind of conversation. So thank you so much, Anthony, for taking the time to walk us through that. It's been really, really interesting. And we truly appreciate you and your honesty and openness around the subject. So thank you so Brilliant. much. And great work, by the way. I mean, I'm deeply impressed by what you've achieved here. And, you know, Dave and I are both from startup backgrounds. So, you know, to do what you've done in six years is phenomenal. So well done. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. We didn't set ourselves an easy challenge, but I'm really proud of what the team here has achieved. So it's been a pleasure to talk to you about it today. Thank you. Brilliant. Fantastic. Thank you for tuning in to Dave and Dan Demystify. We hope you join us next time and check back in the weeks ahead as we build our podcast vault on SoundCloud. Be sure to connect with Dave Wallace and Darmish Mystery on LinkedIn. And until next time, ciao and have a marvellous week. The Dave and Darm Demystify Show is a production of NMD Plus, London, Chicago and Austin, Texas.